0: doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, you're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I have a plethora of guests via Zoom this morning with us. um, And we have a caller, so we'll get to her in one quick moment, but let me do some quick intros. Um, And by the way, Zoom is way more fun than traditional radio because we've had uh, Marley, the nine-week-old French bulldog puppy, join us this morning, amazing. And Ben, you need to do some introductions. Who do you have? This is, by the way, Ben Cody with Styles Law. He's our attorney this morning. Who's with you this morning?
1: Yeah, this is my daughter, Willow. Oh. Um, she wanted to come up and see what I was doing upstairs today. And then um, before you saw my daughter, Lainey. Uh, oh. She's uh, seven months old now, so. Beautiful, and how old is Willow? Yeah. Uh, she's a little over two.
0: Oh, you are busy, busy at home these days. Well, I'm yeah, impressed at how quiet it's been on your end then, given the fact that you have a couple of <laughs> little ones in your home. Actually, Tim was saying how great your audio sounds given your fancy microphone that you have there yeah. in, your, well, in your home. That's good. Yeah. Uh, we also have Sharon McNamara with Boston Connect Real Estate. Good morning again. And her puppy. Good morning. Uh, good morning. And now joining us is my coworker, Cheryl Klim. Good morning. Good morning. And I just. Puppie
2: uh, and childless. So. Oh.
0: <laughs> yeah, we were saying you can't have a snuggle on your lap this yes. morning. No. Um, if I was at home, I would have lots of snuggles with me too. Um, so, and Cheryl, Cheryl uh, is at her beach house down in Onset. I was there yesterday. We had a little uh, office get together. So, that was lovely. End of summer, little get together. Thank you for hosting. Um, I asked Cheryl to join us because Cheryl has an investment property um, and had a terrible experience with a tenant and uh, actually worked with Ben Cody here to resolve the issue. And um, Cheryl offered to come on air and just share that experience um, with everyone. So thank you for doing that, Cheryl. Um, So I didn't, I actually never got like the whole story. I just knew that you had trouble um, with a tenant that didn't want to leave and you had to work with ben to resolve it so do you want to just maybe share that experience with our listeners oh i'm sorry hold on I hold on. hold on you're right you're right i just remembered we have to go to we i have a, we have a caller so uh let's go to patty from situate good morning patty you still with us good morning yes i'm here good sorry about that i almost forgot to uh get That's to you so thanks well, for being be patient. listening anyway <laughs> good so what can we do for you this
3: morning All right. Well, um, back before the break, there was some talk about security deposits. And I wanted to ask, I have some income property. I have a tenant that's been there uh, in the apartment for 23 years, not a problem, good tenant. At the time, 23 years ago, When I rented um, to him, I didn't take a security deposit. I called it a last month's rent, which he knew and I made note of in the file. So I'd like to know what the difference is between the last month's rent and security deposit and how that affects now he's going to move.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So the landlord tenant statute allows for both a last month's rent and a security deposit. Uh, So the security deposit, like we talked about, is really there to make sure that if there's damage, the landlord can use the money to repair Uh, the apartment. It has a lot of strings attached with uh, kind of that whole checklist, keeping in a separate bank account, receipts, all that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. Uh, Last month's rent is a lot different. Uh, And just like it sounds, it's meant to pay for the last month that the tenant's going to be there in advance. Uh, And so there's actually no special requirement that it's held in a separate account. Um, And uh, it doesn't accrue interest. So... um, and there isn't that possibility of paying uh, triple damages or the 5% per year. Um, uh, it, it, there really isn't any of that that goes along with the last month's rent, which is why I have a lot of clients uh, who actually take a last month's rent and skip the security deposit right. uh, if they don't want to deal with it. Um, so okay. the the only thing that I was a little concerned with was that uh, if there is a written lease, it doesn't mention the last month's rent. Uh, but as long as you uh, have uh, some writing, uh, you're comfortable uh, testifying in court, that it was a last month's rent and not a security deposit, uh, and the judge credits that testimony. Uh, then you really shouldn't have any sort of problems uh, with respect to that last month's rent.
3: All right, and just to follow up, 23 years ago when he rented, his rent was 725 a month, and now it's 1250 a month. So, do I have any problem asking him for the difference?
1: Uh, nope, you should be able to ask for the difference. So it's just a credit against the last month's rent. If the rent goes up, um, uh, uh, you can certainly ask for the difference. In fact, a lot of landlords okay. ask for an increase. So m- make an additional payment to to bring it up to that last, what the new rent would be. Uh, I don't right. think that's a great idea. I would just ask for it at the end. Um, okay. And uh, most of the time, the tenant doesn't have a problem with that um, because they understand that they paid the last back 23 years ago. Great.
3: I really appreciate that you just relieved me from some stress. <laughs> oh, good.
0: Mm-hmm. Patty, you're so lucky to have had a great tenant for 23 years, the same tenant. Uh, well, we're great
3: landlords, and they've always been happy, but he's actually buying okay. a house, so I'm very happy for him. Oh,
0: good. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope your next experience in your, if you keep the investment property, as, as, is as good as this one. <laughs> Thank you yeah, so much. You're welcome. Thanks for me. the call. All right. Have a good Thanks. day, Patty. Bye bye. I just, I whipped, I whipped out my financial calculator and I was looking, I just did the, um, she said 23 years ago, 750. What is the rent now? 1250. So for anyone that's curious, that's a 2.24 percent growth on the rental income, which, which about keeps pace with inflation over that period of time. So
4: I was happy for that. Can you you use that little calculator and figure out if um, it was a security deposit and she didn't have it in um, interest bearing account, what 5% over 23 years would have been? On seven fifty, yeah, right, Ben. Because isn't that what you said yeah. earlier that yep. it would be seven fifty? Yeah, so five percent what per per year? Per year.
0: Yep. So she would. Oh, uh, so future value seven fifty. Hold on, I didn't do that right.
1: Uh, so just from my Steve. side of the table, when I'm doing that calculation, uh, it's never a good conversation. Usually it ends with, we should probably settle $1,553.
0: Yeah. F- $1, mm. That's what I'm getting. Yeah. So present value, 750 at f- mm-hmm. 5%, hold on 5% interest, 23 years is 2,300 bucks. But if I subtract out the, the 750, that's 1,553 bucks. She would owe him, which is 5% yeah. per year over 23 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. chunk A little chunk of change on a $750 uh, security deposit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. So Cheryl, back to you. We, would you be kind yes. enough to share your experience and your um, experience working with Ben to resolve the issue as well? Of course.
2: Yes. Yep. So um, I have two properties. I have my um, home that I live in is a two family home as well. And I've had no problems with tenants um, there, but I have a beach property that I rent during like the summer of a couple of weeks. And then I usually try to get a winter rental just because why not? Uh, Cause my kids are in school and we can never get down here. So two years ago I got a renter, um, the, gentleman came in with his mother. So it kind of seemed a little valid. Like she seemed like somebody normal. I mean, I just like you or I or whatever, and they signed the lease. And um, I just did first and last because I don't like to worry about the security deposit thing at all, Um, keeping it in a separate account. And um, like from day one, as soon as they moved in, they like were always late. Like the rent checks came in like three different spots. Like one from a treasurer's check, one from, you know, um, just a five hundred dollar check, one from the father. Like it just kept coming in sporadically, and then, um, you know, I just wanted to give someone the benefit of the doubt because I understand that people struggle. And um, you know, every time it was late, they paid, so I didn't really start the process. I don't think until January when they stopped kind of responding to me. And I think that's when I reached out to Ben and said, you know, what, what should I do? They're supposed to be gone by May. And as the months kept going, they were just not, um, I think they were maybe two months arrears by the time I started the process. And I just wanted to try to get them out because I had a renter at the end of June that was taken a week that needed to come in. And it's someone who has rented from me for like 10 years in the summer. His family loves the place. Um, and so I contacted Ben and then, um, you know, we went through some of the process of like, you know, he, he could talk about like how, what the legal processes of serving them a notice. Um, and we, we went through those channels, they never responded. And then, um, During the month of June, no, month of May, I kept saying, okay, um, I have someone coming in. Can you respond to me? Like this family's traveling from New York and it would just as a courtesy, let me know if you're gonna be out and they wouldn't answer me at all. So I ended up having to cancel my tenant for the week. um, And then they they ended up leaving on their own, which was like a godsend. And I didn't have to go through the eviction process, but, if they hadn't found another place to live, I don't know what would have happened. Um, We ended up going to court to charge them in the arrears. And um, technically I was allowed to charge them a weekly rate for the month of June because that's what I charge in June. Oh, okay. We went to court um, and they were sitting across from us in like a little room with a mediator and they agreed to everything. And then I reduced what they owed us because I just felt like, you know, I don't know, I just wanted to because um, I felt like the June rent, whatever, I just said, I oh, don't mind reducing that. We all signed the agreement and um, and then they never paid.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, stop it.
2: No, I don't even know why they bothered to show up. To
0: yeah, court. and agree and sign. And
2: when we got there, she was like five months pregnant. And I, um... like, I was kind of just really grateful that they got out but really, I was out uh, like twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> but because I know the laws are not in the favor of the landlord, I was just happy that she got out because I don't know what would have happened. You know, courts aren't very kind kicking people out who have like infants and. Oh my god! Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Twelve thousand dollars. So you yeah. sued, So you didn't have to go through the eviction process, but you sued for the rent that for that, that rent. he owed you. And then the money I had to give back to my tenant
2: and the fee I had to pay Ben, yeah.
0: So can you, but like how, Ben, how long, so they never paid, right? So they owe Cheryl $12,000, for example. How long can she continue to pursue that? Can she pursue that for 10 years and garnish wages or, you know, like the IRS could do, for example, like what are her options for collection on of that in the future?
1: Uh, it, 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 don't say don't options.
0: say no options. Oh, okay. <laughs> no.
1: No. Uh yeah. so um judgments are actually good for 20 years in Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Um and the other thing that happens with a judgment is there are third party companies that actually track them uh and will note them on their credit report. Okay. Um so sometimes a tenant, uh, doesn't really care about their credit. Uh, there's nothing we can do about that. Uh, but a lot of times if a tenant might have an irresponsible phase, maybe 10, 15 years later, now they're trying to buy their first house and they have a judgment on their credit report. Um, that's a good time for the, uh, the landlord, uh, because the, the tenant sometimes comes out of the woodwork and says, Hey, if I paid you $5,000, would you agree to release this judgment so I can buy this house? Um, so it isn't necessarily that you're chasing them Is someday there might be money somewhere. Uh, and Or if they buy a property, they forget about this judgment, it's not on their credit report, and you, 15 years from now, you run their name and you find out that they have a house with equity in it, now you can actually ask for an execution, put it on their house, and now you have a secured lien. Um. Um, So these, while sometimes the judgment is kind of not worth the paper it's written on, other times if people come into some money, there is a way to actually collect against them.
0: So does Cheryl, as the landlord, does she have to pursue hiring that third-party company that will sort of track this for her ongoing? Is that what she would do? Uh,
1: there, You can, I believe there are services that you can uh, report to, essentially saying, I, I'm, a sec- I'm a creditor, I wanna have this reported on the credit report. Um, but a lot of these companies just do it um, under contract with the credit reporting agencies. So the credit reporting agency wants uh, as accurate of a credit score as possible. Uh, and so they'll hire somebody basically to just, every time there's a judgment, they're adding it to, to the credit report of the, the, the uh, defendant. Um, so uh, a lot of times it will go on by itself, but I think you can uh, push it along and hire a, a firm to to make sure it's on your credit or on the person's credit report as well. Have you done that, Cheryl? Well,
2: what's the, well so what happened was is we filed the first payment was supposed to be due. I think we agreed to five hundred dollars a month, and they said, "Oh yeah, we can afford that." And then the date came, and they never paid. So I waited another month, and then I ended up. I just called the courthouse, and they said, "Yes, you have to come down and file the thing." Um, I forget what it was called. Ben could probably tell me what it is. But I had to file another piece of paper saying that they didn't. They didn't pay. So it's going back to the full judgment. That was the agreement that if they didn't pay, then it would go right back up to the full amount that I was due, which I think was, it was like $17,000. And um, and he's like, well, do you know where they're living? Which is a whole nother thing. I didn't, they didn't give me really a forwarding and address and trying to find someone like that is a little tricky. Mm. So um, I filled out the paperwork And I don't know if it ever got to them, but that's the last thing I did because it just felt like a futile effort for me. Yeah. So actually- I I don't rent because I love it. I rent because I income stream for us, you know? like Yeah.
0: One of my questions was gonna be how, like the, if- the impact to the tenant in these situations what is the long term impact of the tenant obviously it's credit issues so um a landlord being a creditor, right? Like, it, like in the world of credit, right? So, the, so your credit card company and utility companies will be reporting uh, information to the credit bureaus on your, you know, your, your whether or not you're paying on time and things like that, and that builds your credit. But a creditor, like a like a landlord of a small investment property, is not reporting to those agencies, right? Unless there's a legal issue. So is this, so is it the only time it's getting on someone's credit report, right? Is when it goes to court. Is that right, Ben?
1: Yeah, so yeah. there are, there is a possibility for uh, a medium-sized landlord to become a, a reporting okay. company to the credit reporting agency. Okay. Um, but that's very unusual because you have to, usually there's a minimum number of uh, accounts and we're probably talking somewhere over a hundred units, Okay, uh, which yeah. you're, I would consider that medium in the grand scheme of things. That sounds
0: pretty of, big to me, but yeah, yeah, I guess in the grand yeah. scheme of real estate, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, well, if you consider it against a national company that might have several thousand yeah. apartments, yeah. Um, uh, they're certainly reporting uh, okay. or very likely to be reporting. Um, so the, the individual or the smaller uh, landlord uh, often will see that those go on to their credit report. Um, essentially by themselves because there's that third party that's combing the public records uh, on behalf of the credit agencies. Um, but there are um, services uh, where you can essentially ask them to, to report it for you. Uh, to the you, you can't directly report it unless right. you have an account with the credit agency. Uh, and usually it requires a lot of uh, volume to make that work.
0: So could Cheryl go to, so there's someone that Cheryl, for example, could contact to make sure that this is on the, that tenant's credit report? Is that right? But she would have to go through that process?
1: Yeah, yes. So there are uh, third-party services that you could uh, contact to do that. But there's an alternative as well. You don't have to necessarily take a passive approach to this. You can um, ask the court essentially to bring... Uh, the tenant in and uh, have the tenant prove why they can't pay the judgment. Um, So in a lot of cases, the tenant will bring in their bank account, they'll fill out the personal financial statement and they'll say, see, I don't have anything at the end of the month, uh, in which case it's kind of futile. Uh, But 20 years is a long time. Somebody that's not making a lot of money today, 15 years from now can be making a lot of money. Uh, and uh, you then have the opportunity to have the court say, well, I see that you have money, you have to pay. Um, and at that point they can actually force the tenant to make a payment. Um, so it isn't just passive, you can take an active role and actually um, ask the court to bring them in. And if the person doesn't show up, you can actually ask the court to arrest them. Um, so there's uh, there are mechanisms to get them into court to at least talk about paying you. Okay.
2: So I'm to that's the second step, right? So is
1: my judgment out there against them then, or is it? Yep, so your judgment is on record at the uh, courthouse. Uh, Very likely it's on their credit report just uh, by virtue of those services that comb through the records. Uh, But you could certainly look into um, uh, trying to take a more active role, making sure it is reported. Uh, But also what I usually uh, coach my landlords to do is uh, to, to just check the registry of deeds every few years to see if they've bought a house. Oh, um, okay. uh, yeah. A it tells you where to send future legal service, but also if they have a house now there's something of value that you can put a lien against. Uh, and that's really uh, the name of the game. So um, whenever we're evaluating a, a tenant's likelihood of paying, if they own an interest in real estate, uh, that's kind of the gold standard because then we know there's money somewhere. Uh, it's not just bank accounts that we're trying to go after.
4: And can I ask a question in regard to this? It was one of my questions I wanted to ask you anyways. Sure. So in a situation like Cheryl had, and she is renting to one person, so this one person is on the lease, but it's actually, let's just say, a boyfriend, girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, or even husband, wife. But the lease is only in one person's name. Then they go ahead and buy a property, but they put it in the opposite spouse's name. So then you really wouldn't have (laughs) anything, right? Or is it unless they get married? Could it be? I mean, but like if that person's if both parties' names are on that lease, is that helpful? Or what if it's I'm just going to be the only person on the lease, and then the boyfriend sneaks in and lives there anyways without having him on the lease.
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. It's it's always a good idea to have everyone that's going to live there named on the lease uh, for mm-hmm. a couple of reasons. One is the judgment; it's a lot easier to to get a judgment against multiple people, uh, and then their liability is uh, the legal term of art is joint and several liability, uh, which basically just means that both of them are responsible for the entire amount of the money. So if they get divorced and they have separate finances, wife becomes wealthy. Uh, You can go after the wife for the same amount as you would uh, going after the husband. Um, The other reason that it's nice is you know who's exactly there uh, for eviction purposes. So uh, the worst case scenario is you evict the wife, you go through the whole process, you get your execution, she's removed, and then you find out that the husband's living there and you don't have uh, the correct paperwork Uh. to actually evict the husband as well you've just bought yourself a second eviction, uh, which really is not fun from a a cost perspective and it's gonna take just as much time. Um, The other thing that you might wanna consider uh, is uh, asking for a guarantor. Uh, So in the conversation we were talking about uh, tenants in the city, uh, college students, a lot of landlords will say, I'm glad you want to rent my apartment, but we're going to need somebody with money that's going to be able to guarantee your obligations. Um, So if there's any opportunity to have a guarantor on these leases, it's really helpful. Um, So a parent, uh, a family member, uh, somebody that can actually say, if the tenants don't pay, I'll pay for them. uh, Because that gives you deeper pockets if you ever have to go and try and collect from them.
0: And that's just landlord's discretion. Like, I'm not going to rent to you unless there's a guarantor on the lease as well.
1: Correct, because put- uh, the landlord is entitled to run a credit report. So if there's uh, some credit problems, uh, they're entitled to, to ask about your income. Uh, so if you don't think that they're able to afford the the, the apartment, uh, you can certainly say, we're gonna require a guarantor if we're gonna lease to you.
0: Okay, um, that 30 minutes flew by, but uh, we have to take a quick break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. We're talking about being a landlord in Massachusetts today with Ben Cody of Styles Law, styles-law.com. Uh, uh, also, Sharon Connect, BostonConnect.com. I, that's the second Sharon time McNamara. I said Sharon Connect. Sharon, Sharon McNamara. Sharon McNamara. Boston Sharon Connect McNamara. Real Estate. <laughs> but I said that earlier in the show too. We have the same. We have the same last name almost. Uh, and also my coworker Cheryl Klim just uh, sharing some experience being a landlord. We're just taking a quick break. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Before we get started, I have two shout-outs today. My husband, Kirk Reed... 40th birthday today, so big day for him. He Hopefully he's still sleeping, he loves to sleep in, so hopefully uh, I left a quiet house, all the kids were still sleeping uh, when I left, so hopefully he's still sleeping, so happy birthday to Kirk this morning, um, and also happy 50th wedding anniversary to my parents. So Mike McNamara, many of my listeners know, uh, founder of the show, has uh, is celebrating his 50th wedding anniversary uh, with my lovely mom this morning, so happy anniversary to them, and we're looking forward to celebrating very small celebration. You know, you do what you can do these days, uh, but we're gonna do that with them tomorrow. So that's wonderful. So big, be- great people. Oh, yes. Thank you, Cheryl. Yes, I agree. Um, and I was just saying, like, I haven't, you know, I haven't been busy planning anything for what, six months. And this weekend, both of those things, it was just <laughs> kind of crazy uh, trying to coordinate um, a little, whatever, you know, what you can do these days to celebrate a special occasion, which reminds me, Sharon, I think you still owe me a video for my parents. I
4: I do. I do. Yes. Uh, Today's me and Mark's anniversary as well. So (gasps) 28 years today. Happy anniversary. Oh my gosh. Why didn't I know that it was the same day as my parents? I didn't know. know. It's sort of interesting, Alyssa, because I was thinking about it this morning and, you you know, your dad was obviously in our wedding. He was one of the, you know, groomsmen or whatever. And I don't think that we knew that it was their anniversary the day of our wedding. So that's sort of like them, you know what I mean? Not to sort of take the spotlight away from the bride and (laughs) groom.
0: But so yeah, 28 years today. Happy anniversary to you and Mark as well. Thank then. you. And now I will remember that. Big, uh, uh, August 29th, big day. Um, okay, so the, that is Sharon McNamara with Boston Connect Real Estate. Sorry, I kept calling you a different name, which is ridiculous. That's okay. Um, and also we're joined this morning by Ben Cody with Styles Law. Um, we're talking about being a landlord in Massachusetts. This has been awesome. I have a hundred more questions, but only about 25 minutes uh, left in the show and my coworker, Cheryl Klim, this morning, sharing her experience uh, being a landlord with an investment property. Um, and I, I forgot two investment properties, right? Because your home in Hanover is yeah. a multifamily. So you've had a tenant yeah. there for um, a long time, but how, have had great experiences with that, as I understand. So thank you for being with me this morning. Um, so I guess, um, gosh, there's so much left to talk about. But what I, I think what I wanna get to next is talking about um, the due diligence that landlords should be doing in terms of background checks, credit reports, stuff like that. So, what options do people have, Ben, and what should they be doing uh, with regard to their due diligence before renting their property?
1: Uh, sure. So, uh, one thing I want to say right off the bat is I highly recommend uh, hiring a real estate agent to actually vet your tenants and oh. find tenants for you. Oh, okay. Um, so one thing that I've found is that a lot of my clients, there's a disproportionate number that have found their tenants on Craigslist and Facebook. Um, And, you can kind of see where I'm going with this. If you have the intermediary of the real estate agent, they're going to do the vetting for you. They're going to meet the person. They're going to ask them about their prior history. They're going to know all the questions to ask. They're going to ask for the references. Uh, They're going to be quote unquote, the bad guy because they get to ask for the last month's rent. They get to ask for the security deposit. They're interfacing with the tenant Uh, and it it takes the emotional component away. So you don't get the situation where uh, the person says, Oh, I don't have enough money. Money to do the security deposit. I don't have this. Hmm. I had a really bad experience with this landlord, but the, the real estate agent is thinking, what's in my client's best interest and how do I uh, make sure that this is a, a fruitful uh, relationship? And so they'll do the heavy lifting for you. Of course, they get paid to do this, so it's not free. Uh, but what I've found is that when a, a real estate agent finds that tenant, there's a, a better chance that you're going to have a good experience with them. Sure. Uh, so that's right okay. off the bat.
0: Sharon, you guys do that at Boston Connect? Do you have a re- yeah, rental yeah. arm? Okay. Yeah.
4: Yeah, we definitely do. So um, some of the agents, you know, tend to shy away from it because there's a lot of, you know, the differences um, from having a real estate agent and doing it yourself is we obviously have to abide by fair housing laws. So um, if you're if you own your own property, you don't sort of have and you're renting out your apartment, you sort of don't have the same standards as we do as real estate agents. Okay. Um, but we're all for fair housing. Uh, but we definitely do a lot of rentals. I know um, Casey. During you know now that her job is starting at Rose and Gray not until January she's been doing some rentals. Dustin does a lot of rentals in the city, but I also think that Ben's point is it's it's very valid to think if somebody is going to take the time to meet with a real estate agent to go through the process, we're telling them everything that we need. Generally, it's a person that um, the expectation is already sort of there that you know. They, they, I'm not saying that they won't do something that isn't right, but they wouldn't go through the processes of sitting with us, going through that process, filling out all the paperwork, allowing us to check their credit score. The other thing too is the uh, tenants. I mean, landlords also have the ability to say that the tenant is the one that would pay the fee. So usually we see one month's rent um, is what the fee is. So if it's with a real estate agent and it's an MLS, um, we can say that we'll give them half of that month's rent. So as the listing of the renter, I would get half of the month's rent. The other person would get half a month's rent. But there's also in the city, we see it primarily that the tenant is responsible for that. So in some cases, people are coming up. If oh, it's wow. $2,000 yeah. month rent, it's first, last security and a broker fee. Wow. Okay. So they're coming up with $8,000 right away. So yeah. Um, and But the other thing, too, I don't know if you had seen, I was actually on Solve Seven, 7, uh, Channel 7 News uh, last week. They actually interviewed me um, due to Craigslist and some scams. There's a lot of scams that go on with those. So I don't think it's really healthy for landlords to be putting their postings on there you shouldn't be meeting strangers, period. Amen. And secondly, I think it's really a scary place for tenants to be looking for rentals.
2: What? Yeah. So I am guilty of that. I do, I do do it all myself, but after my experience, um, I don't do that anymore. I won't do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? I did, I did learn like you, um, the court system. You can go out to the court system and see if someone's had a judgment against them, which I learned through this process, which I didn't know previously. I mean, I did bet. I do. I, I've gone Zillow and listed it. I don't list it on Craigslist or Facebook. Um, but I have had a situation where someone listed my property for rent.
4: <gasps> what? What? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's why I was on Solve at Seven. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: why I was on. I've the never, news last week. I've never heard of that.
2: Yeah, somebody listed it online for rent. They had pictures and everything. Yeah, it's a scam. How they did take you? Your money and how then, did you
0: find out about it? Did someone show up to rent it?
2: Yes, yeah, some. I don't. I forget how it how it got revealed to me. No, it was before anything got exchanged. Wow. but Yeah.
0: So Ben, what what. What can a tenant or a realtor acting on, I'm sorry, a landlord, what can a landlord or a realtor acting on behalf of a landlord do to vet the tenant? They can do a credit check and some sort of background check through the court system.
1: Uh, yep, so the court system, if you go to masscourts.org, okay. uh, you can actually search uh, the docket. So I would recommend looking uh, at the district court uh, in your area or where you think they were living uh, and then the superior court in the same county. Uh, that'll give you, if you see multiple lawsuits, if you and you can see the type. So if it's Bank of America versus John Smith or uh, Capital One credit card versus John Smith, you'll get an idea uh, that they might not be okay. somebody that's gonna uh, pay you if they aren't paying uh, their other obligations in the past. Um, beyond that, you're exactly right. The credit report, um, uh, which is a lot easier, uh, because real estate agents have that already set up as part of, uh, what they have in in their toolbox. Okay. Um, so it's a little bit harder if you're an individual, but not impossible. Same thing with background checks. You'd have to get an authorization signed by them. Uh, you can get a background check. Um, but I think meeting the person is important now, certainly, um, uh, as Sharon mentioned, fair housing is important. Um, and, uh, I think as a general rule, uh, Landlords should be very careful to understand what criteria they can base a decision on and what they can't. Um, So for instance, uh, I've had landlords when I'm, uh, I've helped some tenants in uh, very egregious situations. I've had some landlords say, well, if I knew you had kids, I would never have rented to you. Uh, Or Uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty bad. So uh, family status, you can't discriminate on that basis. You can't discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation, uh, race, uh, really the things you would think you can't discriminate on. Um, so uh, landlords should really be aware of that. Uh, and it's another reason why it's nice to have a real estate agent because it keeps you out of the crosshairs. Uh, yeah. It's hard to discriminate against someone if you've never met them and your real estate agent presents them as this viable candidate uh, and they they make sure that they're complying with the law. So um, uh, I think that's a good way to keep you away from that liability.
2: I want to ask another question, Ben, sorry. So like, I believe that everyone should get a fair shot. Like maybe someone who has bad credit that just was in a lousy situation, but they need to live somewhere. Mm -hmm. How do you you find, how would you find a tenant like that and be able to Can I answer this one? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yes.
4: So I was just about to say this at the same time, Cheryl, that you were saying it is, the other great thing is I think it's wonderful that you are that person that cares so much about somebody. I, I got the runt of the litter because I am always the one for the underdog.
3: Yeah, yeah. But when
4: you hire a real estate agent, my fiduciary responsibility is to you, my client. So I you earlier said that you chose the person that ended up costing you about seventeen thousand yeah. dollars based on the fact that it was a nice it was a nice family. Yeah. I don't get into that. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. you know what I mean, my job is to look at, are they going to pay the rent? Are they go- Because you know what? I don't know if you're into having an investment property to make friends or to keep yeah, your business yeah. going, right? Yeah. So when you hire us as real estate agents, I'm taking all of that emotional aspect out of it for you. I don't care if they have curly red hair and they're the cutest thing I've
0: ever seen in my life. I want to <laughs> know that they're going to pay you.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: I would actually, th- I'm surprised that you can't actually discriminate against someone with kids. Oh. Because, well, you can ask, how, you can restrict how many people are living in the property, right? Can you restrict how yes. many people are living in the property? So that's sort of one way to. Um, well, lead
4: paint laws are part of the reason, too. So, um, lead paint, when you, and again, we could go on for another two hours, but you know, on lead, lead paint. paint laws, <laughs> yeah, well, even just lead paint and being a landlord, like yeah. if you have somebody that's living in there, or what if you, if you rent to somebody who isn't pregnant at the time, then they do become pregnant and there is lead paint. So you can't you know you just have to go through the proper protocol i know for us too i'll give one quick example of what happened to us with our two family and how i sort of went around it was not around it but we had a tenant that wasn't paying i think it was like six months Mark takes care of the rental. I didn't really want it to interfere with my real estate license. He never told me. He never gave a notice to quit. So that's another story. But um, he's like, you know, she hasn't paid in six months. So I called her. I hear a baby in the background and I was like, hmm, are you babysitting? She's like, no, didn't Mark tell you? Like I had a baby on the couch in the apartment. (gasps) I was like, no, that, that didn't, he didn't mention that. But they weren't paying their rent, and so now we're out six months' rent. And what I opted to do was cash for keys, and I said, "I'll pay you to leave my apartment." So I left it up to her how much you know she wanted to pay. She came back with five hundred dollars, and I said, "I'll be there with cash." Is that legal? And we her- That's legal. Cash, for- cash for keys. That's what I said to her. We'll pay you to help you with your resources to leave. Yeah, and she did do it. So I guess so we she got, got her entirely. Yeah. She, you know, she didn't have to accept it, um, so she did leave. After that, I what I did is I went to Pembroke Town Hall and I went down to the Veterans Department and I just said, "Hey, do you have any veterans that may be looking for an apartment?" Um, what I didn't know was that they are also um, given sort of a stipend of sorts um, that they don't pay it isn't um like section eight even though section eight is great because you know you're always getting paid from the state but um they are subsidized so that money mm-hmm. is given to the veteran for rent and then
2: the veteran pays us but we took Did you guys $100. talk about
0: section eight in no the first hour no so that
2: is a great way to go right because it comes from the government
0: right? someone someone explain to me what section eight is Hi, Ben.
1: Yeah, sure. So section eight is um, uh, basically housing assistance uh, for low income citizens. Uh, And so a landlord, if they wanna become a section eight landlord will essentially have their property inspected uh, by the program. And if it's certified, uh, they'll be placed with a tenant. Now, the nice part about section eight is most of the money, depending on the, the person's needs, uh, almost all the money or uh, a majority of the money will come from the state on a monthly basis. And then whatever is left over, uh, the, that balance gets paid by the tenant. So I've had situations where uh, $1,100 is paid by the state. $100 is paid by the tenant. The tenant stops paying. It's still a profitable it's still property. Yeah. Um, it's and a fair so-
2: market value, right? Isn't that what they look at? Is,
0: is it fair- or, or is it under fair market value that the, they structure the rent?
1: Uh, I think it's fair market value. Yeah. It's fair market value, oh.
2: yeah.
0: So yeah. as a landlord, a voucher, that, that's great, right? They, so as a landlord, that's that's ideal actually, right? So it, they get a voucher. So the people will get a
4: voucher of how much they are given a month. So now it's up to the either the real estate agent or the tenant to find a rental that's similar. So let's just okay. say, you know, okay, I'm giving you a voucher for $1,500 a month. It's based on, you know, whatever the criteria is. Um, then you can find an apartment for $1,500 or you could find an apartment for $1,800. The subsidized part is the 1,500. They come up with the 300.
0: I would imagine that as a landlord, that's a pretty ideal, <coughs> excuse me, tenant, right? Because the the income is, will be consistent as the majority of it's coming from the state, Right.
1: Uh, There's no free lunch. Uh, So there are some downsides. Uh, So evicting a section eight tenant is very challenging. Um, It has to be for cause uh, so that uh, now one of the causes could be, I want to renovate. I want to have a new tenant. I want to increase the rent. I want
0: to live there as my primary residence. Uh, Correct. But
1: with a normal lease on a month to month lease, I could say I'm terminating your lease because I don't want to rent to you anymore. Uh, or I'm terminating my or my lease with you because it's Saturday. Um, with section eight, you have to have a reason yeah. Uh, yeah. and you have to okay. serve section eight. You have to serve the tenant. Uh, and in addition to that, judges will generally give stays of execution until the tenant can find another qualifying property. Uh, and because there's a long wait list, because it's uh, a program that a lot of tenants uh, like uh, being with, um, it can take a long time to find a new suitable apartment uh, because the program actually helps the tenant find a new apartment. Okay. Um, the other problem with it is um, uh, because the tenant is being subsidized by the state, any money that they receive might hurt their qualification. So Sharon mentioned cash for keys, which is a great strategy. That doesn't work with section eight. Um, I've been in a situation where I had a, a client who's a developer, he wanted to knock the building down. And he said, Ben, get the person out. I don't care what it costs. I got to ten thousand dollars, and the person said, "You could pay me a hundred thousand dollars, and I'm not going to move uh, because I would lose my voucher. Uh, and it's more important to me to have the v- voucher uh, and uh, uh, have my rent subsidized than get a big pile of cash that would kick me off the program."
2: How do you lose your voucher? Like, how long is a Section Eight valid for? Like, what happens if you have a Section Eight living in your property and then they get off the list? Like, what what qualifies you to stay on the list, or are there things that Get you kicked off the list,
1: or yeah, so it, it's means tested. So, if you have income or assets that exceed what the minimum qualifications are, uh, then you would no longer qualify for the voucher. Hmm. There are circumstances where, so for instance, if the person was convicted of a crime uh, uh, in the section eight department they could lose their voucher um, if they um, uh, and. Uh, at, engage in egregious activity um, uh, those sorts of things but it's hard to lose the voucher Um, uh, and i think as a landlord you have to be uh, okay with the fact that it's hard to have a section 8 tenant uh, evicted. Mm. And a lot of landlords will say, I like the steady stream of income. I like knowing that I'm going to get paid. Uh, and they're willing to take on some of those uh, those risks, which really aren't that bad.
0: If they intend on holding it and renting it for a long time and not doing anything different. Correct. I, I just have, I don't know if this is maybe a dumb question, but I've been wanting to ask it for the last 90 minutes. It sounds to me like, so clearly we've talked about it's very hard to evict. It, a Long process can be expensive with, with attorney's fees, I'm sure. Very hard to evict a tenant in Massachusetts especially right now in the middle of COVID. What is the purpose of a lease then? This is what I just, I can't figure out. I understand, you know, what, what's what's the point? Uh,
1: so it establishes ground rules. So for instance, if you don't want pets in your property, well, that's right on cute.
0: Oh, look at her. She's so cute. Look at Marley. What do you mean no pets? She's so chubby and adorable. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I love her.
1: It also uh, makes it so that if the tenant, let's say you have a (laughs) year-long lease and the tenant moves out after three months, you can basically go after the tenant. You could sue the tenant for not paying the rent that they're supposed to pay you. Um, So it gives the landlord um, uh, some consistency in income uh, rather than month-to-month. Because if you're month-to-month, the tenant can move out in 30 days and now you have no income coming Mm -hmm. in, at least with a, a written lease you have the expectation of being paid and you can collect it later. Um, Additionally, it it memorializes everything that you've agreed to. So rather than a handshake saying, oh, yep, this is last month's rent. We have it in black and white. It makes it a lot clearer what the obligations are. And it gives Um, the
0: the landlord grounds to evict, right? If you're you're breaking the lease in some fashion. Yeah, all right, I get it. Correct,
2: yeah. What about the new laws? So there's all these new short term laws. Mm um the state trying to get revenue because of Airbnb. So if you have a short-term rental less than 14, is it 14 days? Um, you have to charge like 18%. What happens like if you have a long-term rental that doesn't pay or like, or it's, do you still, is that still owed or I don't know?
1: Uh, I actually don't know the answer to that. I don't know if the if the short-term rental stops paying. Usually, you're getting paid all up front, uh, so it's probably oh, not something that's going to happen too often, but um, uh, I think you probably would still owe it even if you didn't get paid. Um, uh, but the interesting thing about the short-term rentals is uh, there's a, an additional piece of insurance. Um, so Uh, your ordinary homeowner's insurance or um, uh, something along those lines. You just want to make sure that your insurance covers short-term rentals um, because uh, insurance is designed to really exclude certain risks. And you just want to make sure that that's not one of the exclusions.
0: Yeah, you had mentioned that, Cheryl, actually. You were talking about that. Cheryl, you're breaking up a little bit, but you were mentioning that you, about the new insurance requirements. Is that relatively new? Like if you're an Airbnb or VRBO renter? It was started last year. The insurance, po- and the insurance covers what? what? What does it cover? You just this?
2: have to have at least a million th- dollars of um, coverage on your house if you're, you're a short-term rental.
0: Okay, in addition uh, Alyssa, to- yeah, go oh. ahead.
4: Sorry, go ahead, you can finish that, but there was one other thing I wanted to bring up that I thought would be really interesting. Sorry, go ahead.
0: What, I, how is that different from, is that in terms of the coverage amount, that's different from just carrying a regular insurance policy on your property? They're just mandating yeah. that they, that the coverage is at least a million, yes, for replacement coverage or liability or maybe liability. Oh, okay. I would think
2: because of the short term aspect of it. Okay, uh, Sharon, yeah, so
1: go ahead, Ben. Uh, so the the replacement will cover you. So that's the structure. If uh, if they damage the property, God forbid, the building burdens down. Yeah. Um, the. The personal or the uh, the liability would cover if somebody slips and falls on the property, yeah. uh, uh, there's a, a wrongful death, something along those lines where you have a catastrophic loss.
0: So you've always had to carry insurance on your property, but they're just mandating now that if you're doing a short-term rental, that you have a minimum amount of coverage. That's what it is. Okay. Right. Um, Sharon, we just have a five or six minutes left. What's your question?
4: Okay, so I thought, um, Ben, maybe you could hit upon this. Is now with the legalization of marijuana um, in Massachusetts, how can tenants, um, how can landlords sort of restrict people from, you know, having letting people grow it and smoke it and do all of those things in the property?
1: Yeah, and that's a a perfect example of why a written lease is helpful. So, um, for instance, uh, I'll I'll make an analogy to smoking cigarettes. Uh, Cigarettes are completely legal. Anyone over, I think it's 18, can buy them. Um, The... But a a landlord is completely within their rights to say, you can't smoke in my apartment. And the same thing applies for marijuana legalization. So uh, recreational, at least, you can say no smoking of any kind. You can say no growing of uh, 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 plants. You can you can make those restrictions as a landlord. uh, And those are enforceable terms of the lease contract.
4: What if they're using it for medical purposes? And the same question goes with dogs and you don't allow pets, but somebody says, oh, this is my emotional support dog.
1: Yep. So um, I'm not sure of the answer with respect to the, the medical use. Um, I do know that serviced pets are absolutely something that uh, tenants have a right to, to yeah. have. Uh, I'm not sure um, how far we've come with uh, emotional support animals, um, but it's it, there's always kind of a, a gray area. Uh, so I think um, uh, that's the type of question that if you had a tenant that said, oh no, I'm, uh, if you find that your tenant has a, a, an emotional support pet or you have a prospective tenant you wanna rent to that has one, uh, I think that's where a, a lawyer can come in uh, helpful. Uh, because even if you just want an answer to that particular question, that's something that I can do a little bit of research Uh, give you the answer, and then you're protected. So that you're not, uh, the last thing you want to do is write something into a lease that gets you in trouble three years from now when you go to evict them. uh, And now uh, you have additional damages. Uh, So I think that is actually one of the things that um, I'm able to help with. If you have a discreet question, uh, even if I don't know right away, I'm able to go and research it and give you uh, my best advice.
0: It seems like there is a lot of emotional support animals around these days, right? Like don't you when people, when I was flying, you know, more regularly that it seems like there was a lot of animals in the airport now, emotional support animals. Um, all right. We just have a few more minutes. So, um, is there anything, Ben, is there anything like glaring that we missed in terms of your advice for a landlord, you know, things to do to protect themselves? Um, is there anything that we missed on this topic? And we're definitely gonna have to have you back again because I feel like there's a lot more we could talk about, but anything that we missed for today, that's like really Yeah, big.
1: it was a lot of fun. So I look forward to coming back uh, sometime soon. So the um, there's two things, one, Uh, I think talking about how to hold property is important. Um, So um, a lot of landlords elect to to either hold it in a a limited liability company or a corporation Um, that gives you some liability shielding in addition to whatever protection you might have through insurance. I think we could talk for a long time about that. We could probably
0: have a whole show on that almost, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, The other thing that I think is um, uh, worth talking about is um, estate planning. Uh, So I think whenever you have an asset, there's kind of a tie in to how you would want that to pass uh, upon your death. Um, And then the last thing I just want to mention is a bit of a disclaimer. Um, So I've been given a lot of opinions uh, (laughs) over the last two hours, Uh, I just want to caution everyone that you really need to have an individualized conversation if it's deemed legal advice. Um, so this is all kind of informational. Sure. I'm not applying it to any particular facts. So if you wanna talk to me, I'm happy to, to talk, um, but uh, please don't take what I'm saying as legal advice um, uh, just because I don't know what your particular situation is.
0: Of course, we run the same disclaimer during the break. So That's right, what made me I think, think of we're it. covered as well, yes. Um, yeah. No, but Ben, uh, this has been great. I mean, what I took from the show is um, if you are purchasing an investment property, if you have a property that you're going to start uh, leasing for the first time, sounds to me like absolutely consulting with an attorney upfront to help with the drafting of the lease and just get some advice on things to do and not do. Absolutely. And uh, also what I'm taking is in the event there's uh, someone breaks the lease or you're, you're having trouble evicting, contact an attorney as soon as possible, right? Because the process can take quite a long time. Um, all right, we have to go. We have to wrap up. So I want to thank Ben Cody uh, from Styles Law. You can—he's an attorney who was fantastic. Thank you for being here, first time on the show. You can find out more about him at styles-law.com. Right here in Marshfield. Sharon McNamara of Boston Connect Real Estate. Thank you so much for your real estate expertise and for being here again. And my coworker Cheryl Clem at her gorgeous beach, beach house in Onset. Thank you for being here and sharing your experience this morning. Uh, I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. You can. Find Find out more about us at McNamaraFinancial.com and McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. I hope everyone has a beautiful weekend and stay well and stay healthy. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.